So I'm Raj, I'm a therapist here. Mitch was doing the group earlier for family group on Thursday, talking about how the addict affects people's health, impacts their education, dignity, hope, freedom, independence, security, good friends, safety, all kinds of stuff. All right. So stress levels, how are we doing overall? Stress, pretty good, all right, okay. So you recall our discussions last week, anybody here last week recall what we talked about? Yes, right. Love story. Was there a grieving process? Does this sound familiar, Mackenzie? What's this grieving process all about? If someone loves someone and they die, does that affect their psyche? I would hope it would. If you love someone, it should be painful to have them die, right? And so what's the first phase of the grieving process? Anger? Yeah, well, denial, right? Oh. That goes right to anger, right? You're, you're close. Denial and shock. Someone says... Your loved one is dead. You will be angry. You'll be in shock. Now, if I say I'm your probation officer and I say give you this list of things you have to do, and you go, okay, probation, fines, court costs, community service, that all irritates me, and therapy irritates me. No drugs or alcohol. Are you shitting me? Are you serious? You're taking away my best friend? Denial and shock kick in. And then just like Brandy was pointing out, when something becomes very uncomfortable, we go to anger. Right? Anger is a secondary emotion. I hit this table, I feel pain in my foot, then I feel anger, right? Mm -hmm. All right, what's the third thing of the grieving process? Breaking up with alcohol, breaking up with drugs. Bargaining, Bargaining and yearning, right? <laughs> we used to be so good together, baby, you and me. Remember me and alcohol and all those good times we had together? We even had songs that we would sing together, me and alcohol. I'd hold her close to my chest, and she'd look at me, I'd look at her, and we'd sing these songs, like, I drink alone, shit like that, right? Isn't that amazing? No one understands her like I do, right? We're special together. Anger turns inward over a period of time, turns into what? Depression. I see her off with other people. She's dancing with them instead of dancing with me. And it makes me sad. Like, you know, me and Jägermeister used to be so close, and Jägermeister is with her lips and not mine. And don't, doesn't Jägermeister understand how I feel about her? You know, I was true to her. I, I was loyal. Even when I got incarcerated, I said, I still want to be with you. Fucking Jägermeister, right? And then what happens here? Thank you. And the more modern version of this is they're talking about resolution, right? Making something that's wrong right. It's called resolution. So if you put down drugs or alcohol, if someone that you love and care about dies, if you lose your job, if you go through a divorce, you will go through this grieving process. And this is normal. Studies show that it takes about 6 to 18 months to go through this process. And honestly, it's not fun. And honestly, if I could take away the pain of going through this process from someone, I would do it. I'd take away that pain. But I can't. You have to go through this. It, honestly, when you get to the other side, when you get to here, it develops character, it develops integrity, and it creates wisdom. Is that making sense? It'll make you stronger after you go through it. Is that helpful? All right, cool. Um, talking about addiction, there's different ways of describing it, right? But addiction is a biopsychosocial Financial, legal, spiritual disease that's based on, this is good, based on 
a damage to the reward feedback loop in the brain. Isn't that amazing? When we use drugs or alcohol, they make us feel really, really good. That's the bad thing. And so our brain says, why don't you do that again? And our intelligence says, don't do that again, it's illegal. Mm -hmm. And our brain says, do that again because it feels really good. And once you do it over a period of time and you stop doing it, what does your brain say to you? I feel uncomfortable. You, I feel depressed. I feel anxious. And it sends cravings and urges. You ever experienced a craving or an urge to drink? Yeah. How much fun is that shit? <laughs> right? Like, I really don't want to do this, and you're telling me to do it. And it's coming in surges, right? And let's be honest. Some cravings and urges can be so intense, they can be overwhelming. And before you know it, you're driving down there to get some, and you don't even want to do it. you got a tear in your eye. So addiction is really complicated because it has all kinds of different symptoms that manifest themselves. But the primary thing is actually it's damaging the brain. And so the brain scans of people that abuse drugs and alcohol are different from people that don't abuse drugs and alcohol. The good news, if you leave drugs and alcohol alone for 18 months, your brain scans go back to normal. Uh, two drugs are exception to that rule. That includes what's really bad for your brain. Ecstasy. Absolutely. And yeah, methamphetamine, that. right. And so if you abuse those drugs for long enough, it'll blow out your dopamine receptors and you won't produce enough dopamine and you will always have what's called anhedonia, this low-grade, like, blah, gray feeling where funny movies are never funny, tasty food's never really tasty, jokes are not very, very funny, um, experiences, sex isn't fun, everything just becomes blah and gray. And so some of the highest um, relapse rates occur with um, ecstasy and methamphetamine. Is that making sense? All right. So we're going to go through our first handout called How Did I End Up Here? It's kind of a fun one. It's kind of tricky with the words, but I promise you that it'll make sense. So we can just take one and pass it through if you don't mind. Fresh, can I get the water? Of course you can. It's in the fridge. How about those lions, by the way? Is that some shit? Never count anybody out. That's the moral of that story. And I sent a copy to your lawyer as well, just so you know. Okay. okay? All right. So I'm going to read the first part. We need a volunteer to read. But how did I end up here? And I love this picture in here, right? This picture is really cool. I use it in my book, actually, too. And remember, like, photographs and songs mean whatever you want them to mean. But in some ways, it shows you the person is trapped in a cage, and the, the, the answer to get out of that cage is all around them, right? Kind of floating around. So our addiction began, matured, and blossomed to such an extent we find ourselves in a treatment center or in rehab or on probation, whatever. And however, this problem in our current circumstances did not occur overnight. It has taken many of us years to reach this painful point. So let's look at a simple analysis of the four stages that brought us here. And here means to the point of wanting to get help. Here means to the point of wanting to change. Here means to the point of wanting to be sober or being able to be open-minded to a different way. So who wants to read from there? You need a volunteer. Thank you, Brandy. Um, we just started at number one. We don't, yep. Yeah. Okay. We, or one, we don't even notice we are doing whatever it is we want to change. Two, we become aware only after we do what needs to change. Three, we become aware of what needs to change while we are doing it. Four, we become aware of what needs to change before it happens and choose not to do it. That's powerful. So how about the little text box there, if you don't mind? 
Uh, one, we don't even notice we are doing whatever it is we want to change. So think about it. When a person first begins drinking beers with their friends, right? If you say, hey, you know this beer drinking that you're doing right now? And the guy's like, yeah, you're going to eventually need to change that. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is fun and having a great time. Guy's got a needle in his arm. You see that needle in your arm right now? Yeah, yeah. See, here's the thing with that. That heroin thing, you're going to eventually need to change that. Are you kidding me? This is fucking fantastic. I'm in stage one of heroin addiction. When I buy dope, I'm doing it to get high. I'm not paying someone not to be sick. This is fun and games. Is that making sense? So please continue, Brandy. Uh, I work, or I really can't stand not having any money. No matter how much I work, I'm always broke. This really sucks. Thinking this thought while simultaneously smoking crack or buying drinks at the bar. Thinking this thought while borrowing money from friends for drugs or alcohol. We need to realize the cause of our not having money is the effect of our drug use. Or alcohol use. Think about it from this perspective. This is the early phase of uh, having a problem, right? You're kind of in that ignorance is bliss. I'm not recognizing the fact I don't have money relates to my alcohol or drug problem. I'm not recognizing the fact that I'm on probation ties into my drug or alcohol problem. I'm not tying in the fact that my wife wants me to go to marriage counseling is because of my drug or alcohol problem. I'm not connecting those two dots. Is that making sense? I need a volunteer to read um, page two. Thank you, Mackenzie. Um, we become aware only after we do what needs to change. Okay. Is that making sense? Um, Go ahead. I really can't stand the next day after partying. I feel so beat up, tired, and depressed. I wasted so much money, I'm not going to do that again. So imagine having this little bit of an epiphany. Many of us might have had this before, right? I drank a whole bunch of liquor, a whole bunch of alcohol, and I woke up in the morning and I actually say this out loud. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> Someone must have said it before, right? Am I the first person ever thought of that? Right, I'm, I'm not going to do this. So why would you say that to yourself in the morning? What would be the reason to say that? Hungover. Right. And does a hungover feel good or feel bad? Feels really bad, right? <laughs> and so the purpose of a hangover is your brain basically telling you and your body basically telling you, hey, that poison you're putting into us, would you please stop that shit? Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. All right, and so when a person gets in all kinds of trouble after a party and they're tired and depressed, I wasted so much money, I'm not going to do this again. That's an actual phase that begins to close down the, um, the ignorance, to close down the denial. All of a sudden, we begin to look at this from a, I'm contemplating change. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. All right, please continue, Brandy. Oh, do you want her to continue? I'm sorry, Mackenzie, I'm losing my mind. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Right, we're not switching back and forth. Mackenzie, you got it. All right. Uh, thinking this thought after spending hundreds of dollars on drugs, thinking this thought after vomiting for hours and having a severe hangover, Thinking this thought after using all the heroin yesterday and not saving any for, the, for today, now feeling the withdrawal. No, that's any fun. Go ahead with we need to realize. We need to realize the cause of our feelings so beat up, tired, and depressed is not due just to how much, what things, or who we use with. The cause is due to our inability to get high successfully. So what are the thoughts on that? Any comments or questions about that concept there? You know, some people get really rubbed wrong about this idea, the inability to get high successfully. Why would that upset some people, you think? Is there a successful way to get high? I don't know, right? There is for some people, right, with minimum consequences. There are people that smoke marijuana while they're in college, right? And don't really, don't fall apart the whole semester. They get their degree, they move on, right? Some people drink really heavily in college, and you can actually diagnose them. You have alcohol abuse disorder. You drink way too much while you're in college. All of a sudden, they get out of that experience, and they don't drink that much anymore. 
had one guy that came in to see me with his mom, okay? And so he's doing heroin. He's got thrown out of a uh, rehab for being caught using pills in rehab. Now he's headed to a sober living house. So I asked him this question. What concerns you about your heroin usage? Now his mom's right there. What's the worst answer to that question when your mom's there? Anybody want to guess? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> no shit. Mom just fucking has a complete tear blowout, right? And I go, well, that has me very concerned. And then we begin talking. I said, you have the inability to get high successfully. He goes, what are you fucking talking about? Whenever I want to get high, I get fucking high. And I get good and fucking high. And I go, yeah, but you went to jail for six months. So what? I get high successfully. And now you're facing prison time with the current charges. Doesn't mean anything. I get high successfully. Mom, this guy's full of shit. He doesn't make any fucking sense. He's so stupid. I get high successfully. When I take drugs, it feels really good. See that, that disconnect? I do. Your mom's in tears in my office. You're not really good at getting high, right? <laughs> Seriously, you're not trying to be mean, right? And you got pending, pending, you know, prison type charges here, real felonies that can put you away for a while. You've already done six months straight in the county jail. Honestly, maybe you should do something else with your life. I'm not trying to be mean. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. All right. How about the last part there? Um, uh, Mackenzie, want to read the next one, the number three? Mm -hmm. We become aware of what needs to change while we are doing it. I really can't believe I'm doing this again. I should just leave and go home. I know how this party is going to turn out, and it's not, and it's not nothing nice. Why didn't I just listen to that little voice inside and stay home? Has anybody ever used drugs or alcohol and at a certain point told themselves, this is a really bad idea, I shouldn't be doing this, I should stop it right now and just go home? Like that, that, that bad feeling, like if I keep staying out with these people, if I start, you know, drinking a little bit more, if I don't go home like I promised my wife at 10 or my girlfriend or boyfriend at 10, I might, this might not go very well. Anybody ever had that little inkling? Yeah, right. And so that's kind of our conscience or our, our moral compass saying, hey, man, you're not supposed to be doing this. Didn't we last time when we had this really bad hangover said we weren't going to do this again for at least 30 days and now you're doing it again, right? And that talks about that compulsion to use. Remember those three C's, one of those three C's, consequences and compulsion, being compelled to, uh, to use. Go ahead, Mackenzie. Thinking this thought while inhaling and passing around the pipe, thinking this thought when the bar is closing and you're going to an all-night house party, thinking this thought while you spend your last $20 bill, thinking this thought as you commit a crime to get more drugs or commit an act of violence. Wow, that's amazing. How about we need to realize? We need to realize the cause of us being in this predicament is our drug use. It isn't the caboose on the train that kills you, it's the engine. We can't solve this problem by wishing, yet we can solve it by not taking the first one. So what does that clever little statement mean about the first one? Why is the first one so important to people that have an addiction problem? Why do they harp on that? Don't take the first one. You hear it all the time. Why is that a suggestion? Because you have to stop after that first one. Right. Yeah, there's no guarantees, right? You're going to like it. Imagine if I'm sober off of drugs and alcohol for a period of time and someone gives me this really good advice. Hey, don't hit that joint because if you do, you might hit the joint even more or you might go on to your drug of choice. Right? Isn't it kind of like a safety statement? Like, so don't get involved. So if you have a relapse, it isn't the, 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 the last drink that you have that really is the misery. It's the first drink that you have that, that, that kind of sets you up to fail. Because people that have alcohol or drug problems will oftentimes not be able to control their using. So what does that mean? If I'm an alcoholic and I go to a bar, and I'm a real deal alcoholic, and I tell my girlfriend, I'm only having two beers at this bar, and then we're going home. 
I can say that shit out loud, but if I'm a real alcoholic, it might be one beer. Really? It might be two. Or it might be ten. And the fact that I don't know for sure is also a definition of being an alcoholic. Is that making sense? Another definition of being an alcoholic, if a kid comes to see me and says, I think my dad has a serious alcohol problem. And I'll be, okay, what do you know about him? What happened? He goes, he was really drunk on New Year's Eve. I'll be like, kind of cautious. Let's kind of figure this out. Another kid comes to me, I think my dad has a really bad alcohol problem. All right, tell me what happened. He came to parent-teacher conferences really drunk. He came to my baseball game drunk. I think we might have a problem. Drinking or using drugs when you're not supposed to. Like, guy across the street, swear to God, he has first DUI. He had what's called a pre-sentencing investigation. You guys know what that is? PSI. It's when you show up to the probation officer with your shirt and tie on and your best face forward and like, I love being sober, you know, having a great time at AA, working on my four-step, you know, where am I, you know, can't wait to be sentenced, right? This guy shows up there drunk. Drunk. Drove to the fucking court across the street drunk. So probation officer goes, I think you've been drinking, sir. Oh, I was drinking last night. Would you mind blowing into this little tube here? Sure thing, lady. He blows into the tube. Sir, have a seat. And then they call the little deputies from next door, and they cuff him up and take him away. He gets a DUI, second DUI charge, while waiting for sentencing on his first DUI charge by driving to probation drunk. Well, the odds that guy being an alcoholic? Anybody want to want to put it out there? Not being mean, right? But what are the odds? Right? Remember, drinking when you're not supposed to, right? Before a pre-sentencing investigation. That's not clever. That's not sophisticated. Who wants to read us page three? Thank you, Brandon. You'll be next. All right, go ahead. Uh, we become aware of what we need to change while we are doing it. I really can't believe I'm doing this again. How about number three, though, right? No, we're on number four now. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I made a mistake. We become aware of what needs to change before it happens and choose not to do it. That's deep. Please continue. I know that I can't get high successfully. I'm proud of being clean. I don't want to go through another treatment center. Thinking this thought when someone offers you drugs. Thinking this thought when you see the cold beer in the party store cooler. Thinking this thought after having a bad day and being angry at the boss. Right. What we need to realize, the solution to our problem is awareness and discipline. We need to be aware that using drugs and alcohol is not going to help us. Drugs and alcohol have turned on us and become an enemy. We understand that living sober allows us the opportunity to reach our full potential as a community. Right. Thoughts and comments on that? Anybody want to get a statement about that? Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. So isn't it great to be able to be proactive? Isn't proactive the goal? So before I do it, I recognize right away I don't want to do that. That's powerful. Right? And so we talk about that guy that was with me. Remember the famous story about the guy that was drinking? Pete loves this story, right? Mm -hmm. And so how to handle people that are bugging you about drinking, right? Go to the restaurant with my friend, he's a Chaldean guy, and he's a really aggressive guy. Waiter says, we have some fantastic, you know, before your meal drinks, and we have some great drink specials today. My friend says, I don't drink, I'm, I'm, we're good to go here. So we order our appetizers, and they come up, we eat our appetizers, and it's time for the meal. And the waiter says, we have some fantastic wines to accompany your meal. And my friend says, no, we're, we're straight, we don't, we don't drink at all here, but we're good. And so we finish our meals, right? And he says to us, we have some wonderful cognacs and such to finish up your meal after you guys are all done. And my friend says, listen, man, you don't want me drinking here, and here's the deal. If I drink in here, I'm going to get drunk. If I get drunk, I will fuck your girlfriend, knock you out, and steal your shit. Is that what you want me to do? And the guy's like, no. He goes, then quit fucking asking me to drink. <laughs> right? 
But no one thinks to talk that way. Isn't that amazing? We get all timid, like, oh, you know, I don't consume alcohol. I have a significant problem with my reward feedback loop in my brain. Like, what do you got going on? Like, seriously? Just have a fucking beer. Fuck your reward feedback loop, right? Does that make any sense what I'm saying? It's important to be proactive and identify the problem before it happens and have those urges go away. Here's the truth about being sober. It gets easier. It has its own momentum. It's hard to break that cycle. It really is. It takes a great deal of courage not to get high when everybody else is doing it. But once you have its own momentum to it, it's easier to stay sober. Look, it's hard to get sober, but once you have that whole momentum going, it's easy to stay that way. Is that making sense? All right, cool. So thanks, everybody, for reading. Any comments or questions about that reading? Okay. You guys seen that one before? You've seen it before, haven't you? Randy, seen that one before? Yeah, I haven't used it in a while. It's kind of fresh, so that's good. So we're going to go around and introduce ourselves, if you, you know, and I'll mention if you have a drug of choice, definitely mention your clean time, and give us a highlight in the past week. So Pete, you want to start us off? I'm Pete, alcohol. <clears throat> it's been just a week under 10 months now. Yeah, fantastic. Well done. And give us a highlight, man. I'm officially full-time employed again. No way. Wow, full-time employee. That's great. Um... Just for the people that are new today, what's bad about alcohol and peace people are concerned or feeling ambivalent about alcohol? Because it is legal. It is legal. Right? It's, uh, it's expensive. Okay. Um, it'll fucking rock your world. Okay. It's right. lesson learned. It, uh, not only catching a case, but right. jobs. Took me a year to get full-time employment again, going from making great money to... Now being thankful and making half of what I was making right. before I started abusing. Right. So a lot of lessons learned. Okay. And are DUIs cheap or expensive? They're very expensive. <laughs> okay. Just in case you don't know that, right? All right. That's honest. How about you, sir? I'm Alex. My drug of choice was pot, and uh, I've been clean since July. Good job, man. Well done. What concerns you about your marijuana usage in the past? Uh, I just really didn't have control. I was just kind of smoking every day as okay. much as I could. That was about it. So if somebody comes to you and says, Alex, marijuana is not addictive, it's fine, you know, I don't understand what your deal is, what would you say to that person? Uh, I don't know. It's not the same for everybody, I guess. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point, isn't it? Everyone reacts to drugs and alcohol differently. I'd be a liar if I said to you that alcohol ruins everybody's life. I'd be a liar if I said that marijuana ruins everybody's life. I would even be a liar if I said that cocaine ruins everybody's life. Everyone responds to alcohol and drugs differently. And so if you notice that when you use, you have all these consequences and negative things happening, maybe it's not meant for you. Is that making sense? All right. So glad you're here, man. Mackenzie, how about you? Oh, hi. My name is Mackenzie. Um, my drugs of choice were heroin and... I've been clean from heroin for about a year. Fantastic. And That's an accomplishment. And pills for a couple months. All right. So we're doing better. So let's, let's camp on heroin for a second. What are your feelings on heroin? Uh, Please tell him. Just be raw. What, what are your feelings about heroin? If he was in this room, what would you say to him? I don't know. I don't know. It sucks. It's awesome, but it's terrible for you. Yeah. Is it awesome it in the beginning? It makes you feel awesome. In the beginning, just, right? Yeah. And then you just get sick. Right. How does it feel to be strung out on heroin? Absolutely awful. Right. Does it build up your self-esteem and self-confidence? Absolutely not. Yeah. 
and then when it kills people that you really care about, it can really make you even further upset, and you have to go through a whole bunch of grieving processes, right? I'm in the process of that right now, yeah. Yeah. So. So I'm glad you're here. How's court going? Where are we at with the court case? Um, I went to another pretrial, and I guess they're putting me in front of a jury. Jury? Mm-hmm. What's your charge? Um, they're trying to, I got an OWI, right. but I guess the prosecutor just really doesn't like me. Seriously? So she's trying to, uh, I blew a point two two. Uh-huh. So she's trying to make it like a super drug charge. Yeah, we don't want that. No, and yeah. she's, yeah, got of it. She's just trying to fuck with me, basically. Let me do his magic. And I said a bunch of stuff that I shouldn't have said when they were arrested. Mackenzie, what'd you say while they arrested you? What's that thing about you have the should, right to the you have the right to say the fuck you want with no consequences? How's that go? So you have the right What'd you tell them when you were being arrested? Um, I basically spelled out lawyer and told them to go fuck themselves. And mentioned something, I was really, I don't even remember anything. You're a .22. I so mentioned... .08 is drunk, .16 or higher is super drunk. You were almost like triple super drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like, mentioned something about how I got clean, and yeah. this is what fucking happened, so I could clearly not clean. Right, right. <laughs> so I was just pretty retarded. Oh, these things happen under the influence, but you're in good hands, and we're going to get this taken care of. Yeah. Court on the 9th. All right, hang in there. Glad you're here. Yeah. How about you, sir? Uh, my name is Matt, and my drugs of choice are uh, alcohol and cocaine. All right. And clean time? Uh, June 26th. Fantastic. Well done. So, Matt, what's better about alcohol and cocaine, in your opinion? Um, for me, me? Yeah, for you. Um, I just get in a lot of trouble. Okay. Causes significant problems in my life. Right. Does it hold you back from reaching your full potential? Absolutely. Does it impair your ability to function? Absolutely. Does it cause people that love and care about you to be concerned and overly anxious and not sleep well at night? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is called the inability to get high successfully. Doesn't mean you're a bad person, but that's not your that's not your ability. It's just not good at getting high. Right, right. <laughs> that's okay. That's honest. So you move on to things that we're good at, right? Yes. Some people would say I'm great. Right. But I don't agree. Yeah. With well, it's great's relative. Though, like, yeah, shit. right. Yeah, great's relative, right? Great should feel great, though. Yeah. When it's all said and done, you should feel. I want to write a book about how great my drug and alcohol experience was. Glorify it. <laughs> I forgot about highlights. So I apologize. Highlight for you, Alex? Oh, I didn't really have one this week. Give me something, man. A good meal, cheeseburger. Went to school yesterday. All right. What school do you go to? Uh, Macomb. Good for you, Mackenzie. Give us a highlight. Oh, I rolled the school. Okay. So, nice. There you go. And how about you, sir? Um, I went to... My highlight is my, my wife and kids. Beautiful. Yeah. So, It'll um, be a daily highlight. When I get to spend time with them. Yeah. Fantastic. So. Good. Glad you're here. Yeah. Brandy, how about you? Uh, Brandy, alcohol. Um, it's been a year and 11 days. Fantastic. So proud of you. So when you hear about Mackenzie point two two, do you want to say out loud what yours was? You got nothing on me, kid. I blew a point four and still remember most of what I said. Right. 
3.4. So I meet a lot of people, right? Just being honest. And Brandy's really special. <laughs> Brandy's really, yeah, one of the highest tolerances ever, and that's remarkable. For most people, a 0.4 means a coma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so your body had developed an incredible tolerance to alcohol. I've told some people about it, and they like get me shocked. Right. That, you know, people, especially my size, don't walk away from that. No, it's true. So I'm just lucky. Yeah, you're very lucky in many ways. Mm -hmm. But remember, when we first met, you did a lot of work. I did. Yeah. You went to meetings. You are ready to stay sober. I mean, you made a lot of major changes. Mm -hmm. And you had you a really good sentencing, too, for court. I was very, so far very lucky. Yeah. I, but lucky with a lot of work. Like, yeah, I did work, but I believe I was very blessed also. Yeah, absolutely. So give us a highlight in the past week. Um, I guess um, I took an insurance class. Nice. So I passed the prereq for that, and now I have to go and take the big licensing test. Good for you. So hopefully I pass that. Yeah, so it's a resume builder. One more thing mm -hmm. you can say is one of your abilities, right? Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, Brandy, in your opinion, what is bad about alcohol and how does a person develop an alcohol addiction? Personally, I think what's bad about alcohol is the hangovers first. Right. Um, the fact that your inability to make smarter decisions, um, how one starts an alcohol problem or continues an alcohol problem is just drinking every day or yeah. finding reasons to drink or making excuses to drink. and. They're not smart. Yeah. Isn't it possible we can begin to rationalize our drinking? Like, the original plan is to drink on Fridays and Saturdays. It's very common, right? I'm only going to drink on Fridays and Saturdays. That way I show control. That way I can't have anybody yell at me because I got this under control. And now on Thursday, I get in a fight with the wife or the boyfriend, so now I got to drink because they made me angry, right? So I got Thursday covered. Now Wednesday comes around, and you know what? Um... I'm really stressed out at work, and this boss is an asshole, so now i got Wednesday's drink kind of rationalized. And before you know it, you've rationalized all seven days of a week. And the person says, well, when do you drink? Well, I only drink on days that end and why. What does that fucking mean, right? That means every day. And so that's how it happens. You're right. It happens over time. All right. Glad you're here. Ryan, how about you, man? Ryan, majority choice is heroin. Yeah, you got two days clean. You got to pause for that. That's an accomplishment. All right, what concerns you about heroin? Terrible. Yeah? We have a person in common that we both really care about. What happened to that person's father? She died. Yeah. Or he died. How'd he die? Heroin. Yeah. What was she using heroin. recently? Right. And what'd you use recently? Heroin. Yeah, I lost my friend Brandon to a heroin overdose and wasn't anything nice. I remember his girlfriend was brought over to my house as a baby by, by her father, and his name was Brandon. And Brandon had the biggest smile on his face. This is my baby, and he was completely sober back then, you know? And he just was rocking her back and forth. And I, I'd never seen that much pride in a father before, honest to God. He was just so, so proud, and so proud of being sober. Then we lost connections. He stopped going to NA meetings and AA meetings, and as that cliche story goes, right, he went back in. But at that point, he had never used heroin. He, he fell in with a new crowd that went from crack to smoking heroin and, and eventually using heroin and shooting up, and he ended up dying. And then his daughter comes into my life, a phone call from her mom, and I wasn't expecting this shit. And by the way, remember Brandon? I'm like, yeah, how, how are things going? I know you lost your husband. I'm sorry to hear that. Tell me about her, how the daughter's doing. Oh, she's on heroin. 
fuck? Does she know about what happened to her dad? Yeah. You're fucking kidding me. I go, bring her in right away. We don't have any money. I know. Just bring her in right away. We don't have any insurance either. Just just bring her in. Yeah. Then we got her in the rehab and got her a Vivitrol shot, and she's doing really well. And uh, as Ryan knows, I'm not going to lose him on my watch. It's not going to fucking happen. So, Ryan, you're not going to die. I apologize. I'm glad you're here. How about you, sir? My name is Rob. Okay. And um, my drug of choice was uh, pretty much every pill. Okay. Marijuana and liquor. Right. I had alcohol poisoning three times. Jeez. A couple of seizures. That's no good. Yeah. I've been clean since 2012. Fantastic. Nice, nice. So, so give me some insight. Were you mixing the pills and the alcohol together? Definitely. All right, please tell people why it's a bad idea. Well, it's like basically like a ticking time bomb. It's like very dangerous. Yeah. Like your heart can explode. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of bad things can happen. All right. So 80% of all drug overdose deaths involve multiple drugs. So I'm not saying that you can't overdose from one single drug. You can, but it's not easy to do, right? But when you mix drugs together, the odds become very significant that you can actually die of an overdose. So you're right. It is like a ticking time bomb. No exaggeration. Right. Give us a highlight in the past week, Rob. Something positive. Uh, I had a kind of dull week, but come in here with my friend. Okay. All right. <laughs> Elizabeth. What I write great letters for um, I'm Elizabeth, my drug of choice is like um, alcohol, pills, basically everything except for heroin. Okay. And um, we're never going to try heroin, right? No. Scouts on there? <laughs> yeah, but we're going to keep, but what about snorting it? You can do that. Mackenzie, cover it. Mackenzie, get your silver, please. <laughs> no, I'm not going to snort heroin. Yes, you can snort it. And why, why is that bad, Mackenzie? It's still too bad. Why, why? I can't even get my hand on it. She's not even paid to say that, right? That pay to say that? No. Not even a fucking dollar. So Mackenzie said, here's a person that we can trust, an intelligent young woman, right? And she's telling you that heroin and snorting it can ruin your life. Twenty-five percent of people that try heroin one time, even snorting it, will become completely physically addicted. You can't say that about any other drug. Not even oxycotton. Alright. So tell us about your clean time. Um Probably like a couple weeks up until like four days ago. Although I'm not in anything today. I've been withdrawing from benzos for all day. Right. Which yeah. sucks because I have to work till 2 a.m. tonight. Please be careful. Yeah, for real. Right. Um, my highlight of the week would probably be. I don't know. Give me something. How's work? How's Starbucks? Straight. Okay. Uh, I don't know the moon last night. Good. I'll take that. Okay. Glad you're here. Honored guest. That's good, Doc. Um, Tommy, um, drug choice heroin. Uh, I got like 10 months clean. Mm-hmm. It's a real accomplishment. Well done. Give us a highlight. Question. The highlight yeah. is the new World of Warcraft expansion. comes out tonight. So what is that? It's a game. It's a game. Dude. So what does that mean for me, though? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but it's Sucks. fun, right? Something good yeah. for you, right? Yeah. So this means something good. Like yeah. this is gonna be like better. 
Yeah. Oh, More yeah. fun? Oh, yeah. All right, well, cool. We'll go with that. Yeah. And uh, also just had crab legs in between our sessions. You're shitting me. Yeah. Look at the fucking recovery gangster. Look at you, yeah. man. Yeah. Fucking popping out of here, cracking yeah. some legs, <laughs> popping back in late. You know what I mean? That's your fucking recovery gangster <laughs> shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So well done. Up? Nice. I yeah. like that. Eating well, living well. All right. Let's scoop them up. Yeah. All right, give them some crab legs, man. Everyone's hey, eating. Man. Right? I see so much smiling in here. I want to stay in here. Right, right. Give me a call tomorrow. It's very important. Yes. Right? Okay. All right, man. Hey, keep it up. The lady wasn't complaining yeah. about her car. He'd be staying. Right. Yeah, no. I know. Thank okay. you very right. much. Got it, man. Of course. Hey, no God bless everyone in this room. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. Tommy, this is kind of cliche, but what's bad about heroin? It's the devil, dude. It Thank you. It takes away everything you got. Right. You know, fucking drag you down into Detroit and you won't be able to get out if you yeah. don't stop. How does it affect a person's self-esteem and self-confidence over a period of time? You don't have any. Right. <laughs> right? You're not even worried about feeling good about yourself. You're worried about feeling normal. Right. <laughs> like, this shit sucks. Yeah. It takes away everything. Yeah. Anything you have that you don't even, like, realize, see, you, you'll wish you had it. Yeah, it is from like it hollows somebody out. Imagine you got an ice cream scoop and you got a person, right? It basically ice cream scoops out everything about them, right? Their 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 jokes, their their humor, yeah. right? And when you really get strung out to that point, your your face can actually atrophy because you don't smile anymore because yeah. you're not smiling. You know, um, you, you go to an NA meeting or AA meeting, come recovery college, people are laughing and having a good time. To be honest, you go to a bar, people are kind of laughing and having a good time. A bunch of people shooting around heroin. To be honest with you, no one's fucking smiling. They're drooling on themselves, right? But no one's smiling. No one's saying, this is fucking awesome, man. We're all doing heroin. And we're strung out. And tomorrow we got to do this again. And if we don't have $100, we're going to be puking and shading on ourselves. I can't fucking wait. I'm so excited. Oh, by the way, I got plans to go to Thailand next week. You're not going anywhere, man. You're not going fucking yeah. anywhere. So you're not yeah. traveling anywhere, right? Yeah. And no. I need to meet some people. Yeah, go to a bar. How you doing? I'm... I so and so I shoot heroin. Don't let the track marks offend you. I'm I'm doing great. You, you want to go for a date? Right. Why 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 isn't she going out with me? What the fuck's going on? What is she stuck up? Right. Yeah. So it, it wears at, at people on their self esteem. It really chips away at people and hollows them out. Yeah. Then I'm we hear these really horrible stories. 10, I'm still dealing with it after ten months. Yeah. You know it really fucks you up. So to anyone that hasn't tried it, don't fucking do it. Yeah. There was there was a stories of a of a girl that, that died recently and, and so you know it just never seems to end. It's a, that's even a different girl. And they, one family didn't have money to even bury their daughter. It's just massively fucked up on every level. And it shouldn't be that way. So I'm glad everybody's here. Let's figure some more stuff out. We're gonna talk about masks, and I promise you, it's a good handout. So everybody wears masks. Healthy people, dysfunctional people, everybody wears masks. One example of the mask is like you behave a certain way in church, you behave a different way when you're at the gym working out. You behave a certain way at the gym, you have a different way when you're having Thanksgiving dinner with your family, right? And so we wear these different roles or these different masks. And so when we get entrenched in addiction, sometimes these masks can be basically over, overwhelm us and become part of our new identity or hold us hostage. So who wants to read uh, page one and go volunteer? Thank you. Do you want to read? Thank you. There's a discrepancy for each of us between the internal self and the personas we project to others in the outside world. 
personal health, wholeness, stress levels, and integrity hinge in great measure on the degree to which these private and public selves can be brought into harmony. That reconciliation is potentially life-saving for persons seeking the metamorphosis from active addiction to long-term recovery. Addiction is a unique medical disorder whose effective management requires living as authentically and honestly as possible, and yet it is that precise aspect that leaves many people viewing recovery from addiction as a priceless gift that far transcends freedom from destructive drug use. Yeah, so how do we get sober? I just gave it away. We use honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, and the honesty allows us to be our authentic self. We get a chance to just be who we are, not be anybody different, not be anybody that's plastic or hollowed out. And so when we talk about this change, addiction is a unique medical disorder that can prove that point. Addiction is the only disease that tells you that you don't have a disease. When I'm at Brighton Hospital and I show a person, I go, see right here, you're hepatitis C positive. You have hepatitis C. And they're like, wow, how do I treat that? I show another person, you see this right here? You have high blood sugar. You have diabetes. person says to me, wow, how do I treat that? Sometimes, not always, I'll show a person their mass test and their DAS test, right? Michigan alcohol screening test, drug abuse screening test. According to this test, you're an act or you're an alcoholic. And what do some of those people say? You're fucking crazy. I'm not an alcoholic or an act. I can point out seven people down the street that are worse than fucking I am. I'm just really unlucky. Is that making sense? All right. Please continue, Pete. What makes this journey towards authenticity so much more daunting within addiction recovery compared to the parallel journey for others is the degree of duplicity at the very heart of the addiction experience. Addiction hollows one out, removes our true identity, leaving only the mask of the moment. With every repetition of use, the drug becomes more powerful and the self becomes weaker. The boundaries of fantasy and reality begin to blur and then the chemical wears off, leaving only accumulating secrets in its wake. Here's a problem with addiction. Many of us... Um, recognize that it's not right to take drugs and not right to get drunk all the time. And so we have to be duplicitous, right? In front of mom and dad, we pretend everything is okay. Mom and dad, I'm not using or abusing anything. I'm doing really good. Get off my back, you know. And we walk around Myers or walk around shopping malls and we behave ourselves and try to hold it together. Then when we're with our using friends or we're using drugs and copying, we put on this different role in this different face. So we become duplicitous. We have two roles going on, right? How about the next part there? To be addicted is to be an actor, a chameleon, a performer, whose changing faces camouflage the centrality of the drug relationship and its growing consequences. The masks hide a thousand broken promises to self and others. They provide a veneer of normalcy and can exude charms that allow us to manipulate or persuade others. The masks become associated with various scripts and the dialogue that we use to avoid being discovered. They feign laughter when tears are flowing inside, and they project rage to cover up our fear and guilt. Yeah, so many of us are the performers when we're on stage. When we're at the dope house, when we're at the bar, we perform a certain role. And when we come back from those places and we get confronted by other people, like our family and friends that really care about us, we can pretend to have laughter when we actually have tears flowing inside. Hey, are you worried about that court case? Fuck no, I love court cases. I'm doing great. And uh, are you kind of faking that laughter right there? No, no, I fucking love court cases. And then, hey, I, I found some needles in your in your drawer there. Are those yours? What the fuck are you doing going through my drawers? Those needles are for somebody else. That's great news. I'm so glad to hear that. Can I please see your arms so I can shake your hand and walk away and apologize? I'm not fucking showing you my arms. That's how that whole thing went down just two days ago. Like, really? I trust you, but I don't trust your disease. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. All right. So we have this performance. We're chameleons. How about the next part? To be addicted is to be an imposter, to wear so many masks for so long that any semblance of a true self exists only as a faint memory. The masks become thickly layered, convoluted, and more elaborately constructed over time. 
each seeking to convey sanity, stability, and self-control as these very qualities crumble to ashes. The masks in their performances often become prisons of one's own, one's own creation. Hey, guy that went to NA meetings all the time. He always talked about all the, all the shows and, and concerts that he saw in St. Louis. I went to Blue Oyster Cult one time, man. This was back in the 80s, and it was an incredible show. And he was going on and on about it, you know. He'd do this every, every month, talk about a certain concert. And so he finally got a sponsor. He had about six months sober, and the sponsor sits him down. And he goes, I'm, I'm working with, uh, with Mike over here, and uh, he wants to tell you guys something. And so Mike goes, you know those concerts that I told you that I went to? He goes, I didn't go to those concerts. But I said that stuff so many times over and over again, I actually convinced myself that I did. I'm like, holy fuck, Like, what kind of guy is going to just like repeat about concerts over and over again and convince themselves they went to these shows? Like, That's some scary shit. And that was even sober. Like, fuck, are you serious? Like, what else are you lying about, you know? And so many of us, but see, he was honest about it. It was the people, please. He wanted everyone to like him and accept him, and he didn't have much else going on. So he wanted to be known for going to many concerts and being outgoing and having seen many different bands. As weird as that sounds, it gave him a little bit of status, right? Okay, how about the next part? Escaping the state of imprisoned imposterhood requires facing the terror of reality, the terror that nothing, or at least nothing of value, exists behind the masks. Who am I? This dread to remove the mask is so great it can rarely be faced alone. There is no image more terrifying to the addicted person than the secrets and pain combined with wreckage of the past cast upon their soul. Confronting that landscape without the aid of allies can provoke breathtaking breakthroughs of self-perception and self-repugnance so overwhelming that few can traverse and survive this emotional territory alone. This what's happened. We get clean and sober. We go through this grieving process, right? And then we ask ourselves, well, well who am I? If you have your identity tied with your persona, I mean, you know, some people that I work with are really involved in drug dealing, and now they're not drug dealing anymore, and I'm known for drug dealing. I have a status in the community. Like, I'm known for being the phony drunk guy at the bar. I had one guy that was really short, and he was Irish, and they used to call him the leprechaun guy, right? That was his fucking name, the leprechaun guy. And so the leprechaun guy wasn't drinking anymore, and you're like, like, what's my role? Like, like who am I now? What am I going to be, the sober leprechaun guy? Right? Because, you no, know, we, we lose those roles. And so for many of us, we've worn these masks for so long, they become part of our identity, but they aren't truly who we are. Is that making sense? Okay. Who wants to read the back page, page two? Thank you, Mackenzie. Um, the good news today is that no one needs to make this journey by themselves. No one needs to die from staring into a mirror and seeing only pain, numbness, fear, or nothingness back. Communities of recovery are spreading around the globe and can be quickly assessed by, accessed by a phone call or computer click. The journey shared is not an easy one, but is one that can be filled with joy and great meaning and sense of purpose. Put simply, future day is possible when you can be comfortable within your own state and when you're lost out and you're recovered, or more likely, a new positive self will be forged. Right. Recovery is a process of rebuilding the self one piece at a time, one moment at a time. You can become someone brand new in your recovery, version 2.0, someone that you truly like and can be proud of. What's great about being sober isn't about just putting the drugs and alcohol down. You have the opportunity now to be somebody else, someone that you really like. And so we talk about character defects and shortcomings. So if there's things about yourself that you don't like, for example, in my case, I have way too much anger. And I recognize the anger is going to hold me back from being able to be successful in my life. And I had to actually say, God, I'm like really, really angry and I need that to be removed. And it took a long period of time, but I worked on it. And my anger's come down significantly. The only time I feel like assaulting somebody is when another person that works in the same field as me does some dumb shit to a client. 
I want to assault that person, but I'm told I don't do that because that's not spiritual, right? And so we had a chance to be somebody new in our recovery in version 2.0. And the old-fashioned way of saying this, well, recovery is easy, just change everything. No, that's not true. Recovery is difficult, just change what doesn't work and keep what does work. We don't change everything about ourselves and our personalities and our attributes. We've got many positive qualities. Many people in this room have all kinds of really good qualities inside themselves. You know, and we don't get rid of that. We build on that. Is that making sense? All right, cool. How about the next paragraph? These masks of addiction do not disappear overnight. Other masks will accompany you through the recovery process. The early masks of recovery, are like the more primitive ones that accompany addiction, will show to be slowly peeled away like layers of an onion. The social stigma, guilt, and internalized shame from addiction will force uh, will force them into sustained lives of secrecy. They will become afraid to grow and change what's unhealthy, although bad, is very familiar. They're making sense. And so when uh, they first began treating, especially heroin addiction, a thing called Synanon, they felt that heroin acts were so toxic and so damaged human beings, they could never live in a real society. So they create a different society in a subgroup called Synanon. And so you'd live there, you'd work there, you're part of this community, all live together. And if you wanted to date somebody, and I'm not even joking, the leader of Synanon had to agree that you two could date. If you wanted to marry somebody, the leader of Synanon had to say, yes, you two can marry. It was all controlled because addicts were so crazy and out of control. And this thing, they're all criminals. If you don't watch them closely, they'll steal your shit. One of the strong theories that talks about why the relapse rates are so high in addiction and why it's so hard to be addiction is because of the stigma of addiction. In our society, remember, this is the only mental health diagnosis that gets you locked up. I can be depressed at home, you won't put me in jail. I can even be schizophrenic at home, and you can't put me in jail. But the actual symptoms of alcohol abuse disorder and drug abuse disorder are criminalized. So possessing illegal drugs, which is what drug addicts do, is a felony. Drinking and driving, which alcoholics do, is a misdemeanor. And three of those is a felony. And so it's the only mental health diagnosis that's criminalized. And along with that comes the stigma. And for a long period of time, they begin to treat addiction like they would in, in jails and, and rehabilitation centers from the behavior modification model. So addicts needed to be mistreated, made miserable, given all kinds of rules to take and follow all these rules like wake up at 5, don't do this till 7, and only have three cigarettes a day. And supposedly, magically, they recognize, oh my God, I have a drug problem and all these rules will fight my addiction. That's how stupid the old treatment centers used to be. Is that amazing? All right, how about the next part there? What recovery promises is the opportunity to live a more authentic life. It offers freedom to be yourself, freedom to throw away the masks that hold you back. Such authenticity comes from escaping the ghosts of the past and living and loving as simply and honestly as possible. It's itself and serenity are to be found in recovery. It is in the discovery that something good exists inside of you and within each moment. Uh, that all humans are wounded, vulnerable, imperfect beings, and the profound meaning and connection to others can flow from acceptance of that mutual interaction. Yeah, we all have so much in common. Whatever you feel has been felt before. And so uh, a smile in, in, in South America means the same as a smile in, in, in an Eskimo tribe. Everything means the same. And feelings and expressions are, are, are continuous. You don't need to translate tears. Tears express themselves in any kind of culture. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. 
And so we begin to discover that we're all human and we are wounded people that try to improve ourselves and we're imperfect beings. You can find a, found a uh, very profound meaning and connection to other people. Addiction makes you think that you're different and that you're uh, unique and no one else can understand you or relate to you. Versus recovery tells you that so many people are thinking and feeling just like you. In this room alone, everybody has experienced the consequences of addiction. But remember, most importantly, this room, we don't have addiction in common. What we have in the common in this room is recovery. It's different. I can go to a bar and go, I have alcoholism in common with him. I can go to a dope house go, I have addiction in common with this guy. What's different about this room and NA and therapy is what you have in common there is the willingness to change. Lots of people have addiction, but not all those people have the willingness to change. That's what separates you from other people, and that's a good thing. Is that making sense? All right, please continue, Mackenzie. There is something deeply human and courageous about recovering from one's deepest wounds. There is nothing more noble than fighting addiction and winning. I love that part. Recovery is simultaneously a retrieval of lost parts of the self-discovery and discovery of previously hidden treasures within and beyond the self, and a conscious reconstruction of a new positive character and identity. Good point. How about the last paragraph, and please bring us home. To become a person in recovery requires first becoming a person, a real person. There is much to be learned from this process of rebirth and of self and self-acceptance. This is the road less traveled, the more difficult path, and not for the faint of heart. This battle provides deep wisdom and increased insight. Everyone who tries and works towards deeper understanding risks knowing the truth. There are lessons buried within this collective experience that are worth sharing with the world. You will become braver, stronger, more mature, more successful, and even better than you ever thought possible. Drug free. Any comments or questions about that concept? Is that making sense? Look, adversity develops character. I wish that I could say to you, here's the deal. I want you to be born in a privileged family, never be stressed out, never have a flat tire, never have a cold, right? Never have the flu, never break an arm, never break a leg, right? And you will have all kinds of character and wisdom and insight and you'll be super spiritual. Here's the sad truth. You got to go through a whole bunch of really, really bad shit to develop all those things. It makes you stronger than other people. And so when you look at this from another perspective, you know, it's an honor to have a spiritual target on your back. Think about it from this perspective. I had a young woman that wanted to apply to college, right? And her dad is a heroin addict and her mom is a heroin addict. And she was born into active addiction. She was born with withdrawals from heroin. And she was taken away and put in a foster care, taken back and forth. Her dad never got sober. Her mom never got sober. Um, six months ago, her mom and dad inherited a quarter million dollars. And you know how much my client got? And she's 18 years old. They gave her 250 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Really? Are you serious? And so she wanted to apply to college. And so she's writing this thing. I said, let's talk about your essay and follow this concept. If you see a rose in a privileged garden that's been watered and fertilized and tended to and treated with the best of expectations and results and always been treated with love and care. And that rose looks absolutely beautiful and it's completely symmetrical. Everyone goes around that rose and goes, that's the most beautiful rose in the world. And I say, it's supposed to be. It had every fucking advantage. Then you see in, in the ghetto, you see this rose breaking through the fucking asphalt and it's kind of crooked and leaning over at one angle and people walk around and go, look at that fucking rose. This doesn't look very good. 
And I say, holy fuck, that road is broke through the fucking asphalt and the concrete, and it's sitting there, and it's got one petal, and it's got blossoms on it. Holy fuck, that rose defied all the odds. Hopefully that rose can be you, and it can be me. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. And that rose has done a hell of a lot work than the one that came up in that privileged garden. Does that make any sense? Do I sound crazy? All right. Any other comments or questions about the two handouts? Is that helpful? Talking about these stages and talking about masks. Remember, masks are normal. Just try to find your authentic self as you stay sober. And I'll see you guys at Recovery College at uh, 7 o'clock next week. Thanks for being here. Let's see me here a lot more.